Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Good morning. It's great to be together. What a great day uh, it is, right? Uh, for some of us, it's better uh, than others, although we all lost uh, an hour of sleep. Um, we didn't lose other things. We've been, we're talking about this series called Ordinary, uh, Everyday Ordinary. And we are really trying to understand or learn together what it is like, uh, you know, to walk with God. And the two things that I mentioned last week were that we want to honor the mundane parts of our lives. I wanna recognize that a lot of our lives are lived with, um, you know, just in maintenance mode, just trying to keep everything from falling apart. Our lives consist of having to change the oil and clean the house and the dishes and brush your teeth and, you know, change diapers and all the other things that you have to do. You have to take, you know, just the, the spectrum of things. It's so much of our lives um, are lived this way. And so what I wanna do is kind of blow this up. And we've been arranging this series. We've, we started this year uh, with these sort of circular counters, January, uh, April, July, October, and then it starts all over again. And last week we recognized that each of these, these segments is sort of broken into smaller segments. And so I want for us to sort of take this idea and look and see and understand how one of these sort of fits into the larger order of things. That, that each week we'll talk about has a beginning. Oh, that's a little hard to read, isn't it? A beginning. Uh, it has a, a middle and then it has what everybody's working for, right? The end. And then it begins again. It does it all over again. And if this gets too mundane or too routine, it just becomes the grind. And you just, just and then this just turns into this nightmare of kind of how we're trying to exist or live. And so in today's kind of message, I want to talk about what happens in the middle, what happens in these middle spaces. And we're going to specifically target sort of Wednesday, this idea of Wednesday. Like, can I just get through Wednesday? Because Wednesday's hump day, right? Wednesday's the day that if you can just get over Wednesday, you just got this gravitational slide into the weekend and then it'll be done. Then you get to do the whole thing over again. And you just keep thinking if you can just get through Wednesday, that sort of becomes the mantra. It's funny because... Um, as a church in 2012 was a really tough year and Richie and I, Richie's our executive pastor, we're great friends. I remember we got to the end of that year, we're like, I mean, we got to the middle of that year, we're like, if we can just make it through 2012. And we've been saying that every year since. And in fact, in 2019 was a really hard year. And we were thinking, oh my gosh, there's no way it can be worse than this. If we can just get through 2019. And then you got, Oh yeah, 2020. You realize it was three years ago today. Today, the world shut down. And, and this is what happens. And so like, right, what, I've, what we've learned is we just don't say that anymore. Because, you know, and so maybe we should just not say if we can just get through wins. Maybe we should find a better way or a different way for us to think about how things work. Last week, you know, I, I, 
I gave you this idea. We talked about this idea that the power of creating a week. You get to create this. Remember my planner and you get to look at the week and say, oh, what's gonna happen this week? And you write all your stuff down and you, know, you put the things down that, you're, um, you know, that you've gotta be involved in. I use my word at the top of that page and put some of the things I'm praying about, some of the things I'm hoping for. And I kind of look at my week and it helps me not just to see the things that I have to do that week, but it helps me see how I'm going to see the things that I have to do that week. And so you start this week off. And, and what this may be, sort of the, the, the pattern or pace of your life, this in this day between the Monday through the next Sunday is what we're gonna call your actual lived life. When we talk about surrendering your all, what I mean is I want you to surrender the life that you are actually living. I want us to bring that to, the, to bear. And we've been using this passage as sort of the, the, the foundation, the launching point is from Paul's you know, admonition to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, to surrender all. And we read this out of the message translations, Romans chapter 12, uh, verse one. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. And this isn't casually like God's gonna just show up when you need him, but like God empowering you, giving life to you, sourcing you. That here's what I want you to do with God's help, with his participation, with actually your participation in him. Take your everyday ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life and place it before God as an offering. This is sort of the act of, of creating our week is that here's everything we've got, I'm gonna place this before you. And then the challenge is for us to live that out all the way through the course of the week, right? The verse we talked about last week, Galatians chapter five, it says, if we live by the Spirit or since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us interact and move at the pace in which God is moving, where his life is sort of infusing life into us and bringing us this sense of fullness that we long for and happening in all of the everyday, ordinary moments. And we talked about this act of creation, that we get a say in this. And I used Genesis chapter one. I wanna return there um, this morning. Genesis chapter one, um, if you have your Bibles, we're actually gonna be in Romans chapter eight. So if you wanna flip there, you can do that. But Genesis chapter one, I read the Genesis account often. Uh, it's a part of my, my ritual, if you will. And the reason is because so much of our life, I started off with the gospel is bad news. You're a sinner. Um, you're terrible. Uh, you deserve God's judgment. And that's all you know, true. Um, and then it unfolds from there. And so the gospel became about something that happens to me after I die. That was much of my, what I just absorbed from how I grew up. And so I, I, I go back to Genesis to remind myself that the gospel begins with good news. The gospel starts with God created and intended and spoke and caused and invited. And so this, this account is in the beginning that God created the heavens and the earth. And then the next section or the next verse, it says, now the earth was formless and it was void and darkness filled uh, this uh, uh, was over the surface of the deep. So there's just this sort of chaos. It's formless, it's void. Some older versions say it was wild and waste. It was just unruly. It's chaos, that's the picture. And the Spirit of God hovered over this abyss. So there's this mess, this chaos, and God's Spirit is hovering. This is the, the picture. And it's beautiful, we talked about this last week, but, the, but the, word, the word hovered isn't just like he's sitting there like a genie. It's the, the word would be used for, to describe how a hen 
broods or hovers over her eggs. I've never done this or raised chickens, but I can imagine that they, I've seen, you know, they, they, they flutter their wings and they pull everything in close. And it's this imagery of, of protection and, um, and it's this, this uh, sort of instinct protective um, place from which life is going to be formed from which something new is about to happen. So God is brooding over the surface of the deep. And then it begins the narrative. God said, let there be light. And he saw the light was good. And he separates the light from the day and he separates the vault. And he, puts, he goes through the whole creative process. And it's just pattern after pattern after pattern uh, of, of this uh, God speaking and then creating and assessing that it's good and then doing it again. And when God spoke, he literally caused reality to emerge. He caused things to become. His words arranged and they ordered things. They brought things into a semblance where, where they would fit in the larger order of things, where one thing would belong to something larger. The way, say, a week belongs in a year. It's this ordering. And, and it creates in this, it's a beauty, that beauty emerges from chaos. It all begins with chaos and then beauty emerges from it. Form was given to what was previously formless. Substance filled in where it was previously void. And, and this isn't just about beauty and creativity, but in the ancient world, this was latent with meaning and purpose. And in my personal word, the word that I use often in my journals, I try to think about what I'm saying and writing. I use the word God's intent or God's intention. The reason is because for me, Purpose had always become synonymous with what God wants me to do. Purpose is a means to an end. If I achieve God's purpose, it means I accomplished the things that he wanted me to do. And I think we need a better way that intent means that God, he has an intent, a, a meaning. There's something more than just what you accomplish. He intends for you to be somebody. He intends for you to belong. And what that means is that something matters about you more than all the things that you accomplish in your life. We gotta have a way to see this, to understand this, or else we're just gonna end up in the grind. And this happens so fast. No matter how successful you get, it happens so fast. So God orders, he places things in a particular place such that they fit into the larger ordering of things. And then he stops and he assesses. And this goes on and on until the end of day six where he has filled the earth with uh, animals and plants. He's filled the seas and the skies with birds and with uh, fish. And then in chapter one, verse 26, God records, or uh, we, God says this. Verse 26 of chapter one, the book of Genesis. Then God said, let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. There was this thing that happened that begun. And if, you have your, if you're in your Bibles, you look, you'll notice that next little section is kind of indented. And this is basically a poem or some kind of verse that was used to express um, what had just happened, like some kind of validation or excitement. So there's a pause. God had invited us to rule and to participate. And then he says this, this, this short little uh, poem. So God created mankind in his own image and the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That's why it's written this way. It's this sort of stopping and cherishing. Now, <clears throat> and um, 
I want to tell you kind of a, some, to help you see how this sort of process matters to us. Um, every Monday, um, I get to keep uh, my granddaughter, Lennon. Y'all know my new granddad, right? So you can do that. So uh, Lennon uh, is my granddaughter, my daughter, my son-in-law, beautiful baby, sweet family. And I get to keep her uh, on Mondays. And I'm, I'm a good grand, my name is Pod. They call me Pod. And so I'm a good uh, Pod. And um, I do what I'm told. I'm a good rule follower. So if they want me to make her take naps, I'll make her take naps. I'm trying not to spoil her too bad. Um, but now we're learning how to, we're teaching her how to eat food with a spoon. This is an exciting time. So last Monday, um, we, were, we were trying uh, this out, trying how to, we're trying new things. And one of them is eating uh, carrots with a spoon. So we were eating some carrots. And this is, uh, right, isn't she cute? And so, I'm learn- so I don't use bibs and I get in trouble for it all the time because we're supposed to use bibs because everything is like stained. But if you look at the next picture, this, this is really cute. How it goes. This is what it lo- looked like. And I don't even see the carrots in her nose. Um, <clears throat> but this is just the beginning of the story. There's carrots in her nose. There's carrots in her hair. Carrots all over me. Carrots on the couch behind us. Carrots on the floor. Carrots everywhere. Um, you give her the spoon and she grabs the spoon by the front of it and then she just jams it into her face wherever she can find it. And so we were doing this and you know, you, you, so there's this thing that happens and so I wrote a poem about it and the poem goes like this. It says, carrots in her hair, carrots on my jeans. Carrots everywhere, but we're trying new things. And it actually, I pulled my guitar out and it was kind of a punk rock song uh, that I'm teaching her. And, and so this is kind of what happens. There's these declarations, there's these things that happen and they're all cute. And then you write this beautiful thing about it. Like, oh, carrots in the air, carrots on my jeans, carrots everywhere, because we're trying to write. You have this whole thing going on. And that's what's happening in Genesis, right? It's like God has created us to rule and reign. And then he says, you know, oh, here's this poem. I created a man, a man in my own image, in our own image. In the likeness of them, he created them. Male and female, he created them, right? And then verse 28, and God blessed them. This is what it should be. God blesses you. Do you know what happened after the cute, fun carrot thing? You know what you had to do next? You gotta clean the mess up. You gotta start all over again. And that part, cause you know, she doesn't even appreciate it. She does not appreciate I'm trying to get carrots out of her nose. Instead, she is screaming and squalling and fighting me. I'm like, I'm just trying to help you. And God blessed them. Right? We think of this idea and we say this, this feels good that God sort of set us up to experience all these great things for things to just work out the way we want them to. But whenever you order something, I mean, like, let's, let's continue to read. And God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. He's talking about rule and dominion and exercising authority and taking responsibility. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. There's something that's gonna follow this blessing that has responsibility to it. The idea of blessing, if you really think about it, is it's a positioning. It's not just about saying, I hope things go. It's to will God's good on his behalf for that which he has made. When someone says, God bless you to you, we usually hear it after we sneeze. But if you say to someone, God bless you, you are putting an order to things, saying that we receive something from God. A blessing is ordering. It's more of this. And you know what happens when you get responsible for something in the beginning? It's exciting, right? I was, I remember when I finally got to cut the grass. My dad's like, I'm big enough, I'm old enough to use the lawnmower. Dude, 
It was the biggest trick that has ever been played on me in my entire life. Because then you despise it for the rest of the time. You just can't wait to have kids so you can make them cut the grass. Like that's the whole thing. And this is the point that right, everything at the beginning is all exciting and fun and new. But anything that you're given responsibility for, anything that is entrusted to you requires some measure of upkeep and maintenance and attentiveness. Order requires you to pay attention to certain things. And no matter how creative the ordering is, no matter how excited you are to take on this responsibility, at some point it's gonna require a measure of doing things over and over and over and over again. It's gonna require doing things that you don't like doing. And this is when we begin to lose our minds. The challenge uniquely for us is that we have so many ways to simply begin again. You get to this place in the middle here somewhere where you grow tired of almost anything and you can just do something else. And a lot of us stay excited because we've just begun and begun and begun and begun and begun and begun and begun. We've just sort of chased ourselves and entertained ourselves and occupied ourselves with the excitement of new things. We've never actually learned what it's like to let things settle into us, to understand what God is doing us. And more important, to understand how God shows up in these places where it's not all sort of rainbows and unicorns and, and fun. That there's a reality to our lives where God shows up. And I think these are some of the most um, precious places, most important places for us. When it comes to this sort of grind that a lot of us end up in, um, this is the place where that has the potential for futility. You get into these middle places where it's long past the beginning, too far from the end, you're stuck in the middle and you think this doesn't matter anyway. There's no purpose in this. And that's, that's it. you know, it's funny because a lot of people think that work is the curse of the fall. Work is not the curse of the fall. I mean, when God created everything, he put us to work. He said, I want you to rule and exercise dominion. It implies there's gonna be ordering, cultivation. Your hands are gonna get dirty. There's gonna be, some, there's gonna be a lot of things happen. There's gonna be all this, this kind of idea that we're gonna be contributing and producing and acting in ways that are cooperating with God. Work is not the curse, futility is. It's when you think that what you do or what you contribute doesn't matter. That's when we've lost the intention that God has behind your life and behind my life and what he wants and intends to be done. And this is found in the most menial of things. You know, part of my crusade over the last five years, people used to, I'd go talk to business owners and people who are in the marketplace and they would say, oh, what you do is spiritual, but what I do is something else. I'm like, well, who asked you to do what you're doing? They're like, well, God, I suppose. I'm like, well, then what does that make it? If God has asked you to do it, it is sacred. It doesn't matter how menial or how you don't think it's, God is, he uses us in these ways. He's asked us, he's invited us to rule and to exercise dominion over all of these things, including what you do day in and day out, no matter how menial you think that it might be. We wanna honor the mundane. Last week I got asked this question probably four or five times. I said, Mike, why'd you use the word honor the mundane? I love when people think and ask questions like that because they're, they're paying attention. To honor means to give weight to something to give weight to the tasks, to the things that we have to do just sometimes to keep the wheels on, the things we have to do to maintain, the menial things we have to do to continue to pay attention to the ordering and what God has asked of us to do, to give weight to them. 
We love all the sensational things, but I want us to learn how to find the true life in the, uh, the more subtle things. We can always find hope and excitement and thrill in the beginnings. We can find often relief or celebration in the end. But in the middle, you must find hope. I think this is the unique, beautiful thing about the gospel is that it actually is the, the, or one of the great gifts of the gospel is that it injects hope into these places. So I had written this message um, around a whole different way um, as I was thinking about this. And then uh, Thursday and Friday, I just changed the whole thing. And this is what I changed. I hope this makes sense. Because there are things that have happened in our congregation, people I know and love, that don't look like they're gonna be different. And they're, st they're stuck here. They're just stuck here. And so sometimes when you're stuck here, in order to keep in pace with the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, you have to stop. You have to stop and you have to take a breath. This is not a, you know, this journey is not a one breath hold. Like you can't like, you know, get to the end of this journey in one whole breath. You gotta stop, come up for air, regroup, fill your lungs, get some perspective, duck back down and keep going. And use these places, we have to learn how to operate. So I wanna read this passage out of Romans chapter eight. And it says this, for I consider, this is chapter eight, verse 18. This is the famous passage that says, God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. We use this verse all the time. But there's a whole, you know, sort of pre-work that needs to be done. That's all ending stuff, right? That's all, oh, he worked it all together. This is what I'm talking about in the middle. This is where the work is. I consider that the present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. And I wanna make a quick comment before we read any further. A lot of people see this, and Paul is telling us not to compare what we are going through now with what is to come. That's good advice. But a lot of people, you, us, you compare what you're going through to somebody else. And you end up sort of diminishing. Like right when your, your, your kids come home, they're in like sixth grade or seventh grade and some guy or girl has broken their heart. And you're like, oh, you're in seventh grade, you'll be fine. And the reason you know that's because you're 40. You know what it feels like to the seventh grader who just went through that? It feels like death. The worst thing that could possibly happen to me has happened to me. And if she scales that by what you're dealing with or he scales that by what you're dealing with, they're gonna undermine some things that need to be done. I think it's what's happened to a lot of us. So you're dealing with something, you're like, well, what I'm going through is not as bad as what they're going through. So I'm gonna try to tough this out or I'm gonna try to make this. And it's like, no, we've gotta find some ways. The, the cause, you don't, don't scale or diminish your suffering. You can acknowledge what you're going through. Just don't, just don't compare it to what is to come. There's a way for us to remain in this place, to experience something from God, to experience his presence and what he longs for us in those moments. So don't compare or consider our sufferings not worthy comparing to the glory that's gonna be revealed for cre the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed and not... This all has to do, I think, with rule. And you'll see this in just a moment. For creation was subjected to frustration. I mean, you don't have to really believe the Bible that deeply. No, that's true, right? Creation just seems to grind toward decay 
and unraveling. For creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. And how did he subject it? In hope. That somehow this grinding down is to awaken something in us. And he continues on that creation itself will be liberated from the bondage of death and decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. This is that idea that, that there's good, one day this is going, things are going to be the way they, they ought to be, the way they're designed to be, intended to be. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as, the, as in the pains of childbirth right up until this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who, who have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And it's just this picture of longing, stuck here in the middle, hoping, longing. Verse 24, for in this hope, we have been saved. In this hope, something will happen to you that brings the life that Jesus has made available to you. In this hope, that's where we find it. In the middle spaces, it's this hope. But hope that is seen is no hope at all, right? Now what it says, for who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we position ourselves to wait for it patiently. We, we posture ourselves. And then he adds this. A lot of people have read this verse, but if you read it in context, it's basically like, so in this same way, in the same way that we're positioning ourselves in this middle space is not longing to be somewhere else, but embracing where we are. In the same way, the Spirit helps us right in the middle of your weakness or your suffering right in the middle of the anxiety, right in the middle of the fear, right in the middle of the, I can't do this, I'm not enough, I don't measure. Right in the middle, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for. You ever felt like that? So the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. I love this. Listen, I've done this long enough. I've been frustrated enough. And my prayers look like this. Ah! And somehow I'm like, God, can you interpret that? Can you make some sense of that? He knows, oh, sorry, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. It's this picture that when we are in this place and we're encountering, experiencing and getting before God and we're in that place with him, the one who knows us, knows our minds, knows the mind of God and is beginning to create some kind of connection because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with his will. But, this, but if all this language of this, the children of God and us ruling and contributing and exercising authority isn't disconnected from this, for God to intercede on behalf of his will isn't just like, oh, well, you know, God, we knew what you meant. And that's enough. No, it's gotta get back into our guts. It's gotta get back into the way we think and we understand. This is why you need Wednesday. Wednesday is not just the, the hump day that you have to get through to get to the end so you can start all over again. Wednesday matters. And so, these middle spaces, right? These middle spaces where you've paused to make time, to make places to see and to sense are these places where they're often in the middle of the mundane, in the middle of, of things not going the way you want, of you not being where you think you ought to be. And last week I talked about this idea that you have to be faithful in those places, to be faithful in the small things. Remember that last week? To be faithful in the small things. Here's what our Western driven, competitive minds, here's how we interpret that. You, do, you be faithful with the small things so that what? You can get 
big things. That's destination thinking. That we use being faithful in the small things as a means to an end. The point of being faithful in the small things is being faithful. And you put a period at the end of that sentence. You're not faithful in the small things to get big things. You're not faithful in the small things. To, you're faithful in the small things because being faithful is the point. If nothing else ever happens, that who you are in those places, in your home, in your bathroom, in your kitchen, at the kitchen sink, in the backyard, with your family, with the kids, the person you are in traffic, the point in those moments is to be faithful, to learn how to sense, to learn how to remain, to learn how to keep in step with God's spirit and his work in our lives. In the middle spaces, in these places, if you can sort of find a way to do this, right? If you're constantly working for the next thing, if you're working for the weekend, you are likely to run right past Wednesday. And we've gotta find ways to stop and to sort of see this, to, to enter into a place where God can show up and where we can sense and see what he says. In these middle places, you are free to say that you were disappointed or that you were unsure. You can say that. I can't tell you the freedom that I felt as a pastor. And I can show you my drone to look and say, God, I am not as certain about these things as I thought that I was. Which sounds heretical, but it's freeing because if you don't acknowledge those things, you know what you're gonna do? You're gonna pretend. You're gonna pretend that you have it all together. You're gonna pretend that you're not unsure. You're gonna pretend that you're not uncertain. You're gonna pretend that you're not disappointed and your soul is just gonna shrivel. So in these middle places, that's why they're so important. We're just kind of using Wednesday as the sort of metaphor. You can say that you're overwhelmed or in over your head. You ever felt like that? Only every day. You can say that you're glad or that you're sad or that you're mad. You can say this feels meaningless. Why do I have to put up with this? You can say this feels mindless. I can do more. Then what you have to decide is can God show up there? Can God meet you in that place? And if he can, what difference would it make? That's a real question for us to consider. I found this book uh, this, uh, a couple weeks ago. I've, I've read this author, her name is Kate Bowler. Um, she wrote a book and it's the blessings for the lives we actually live. Uh, the introduction is fabulous. Then it's just a series of, of prayers that she's written out. And um, she's, a, uh, she's written a lot of books. She's a, a professor. Um, oh, she's a professor at Duke University. <laughs> Who knew? Um, sorry. They did win last night. All right. Um, now some of you are like, I'm never coming out of the church. I'm never listening to anything you say again. Um, she talks about this idea that we, in a, we live, we, as, as Americans and kind of Westerners, we don't, we don't live in a, a culture of blessing. We live in a society of hashtag blessed. That's how she says it. Where it's like you got your big SUV with a license plate that says blessed or your killer vacation where your family's perfectly, oh, and it's like blessed, which those are all, those are all but blessing is more. Blessing is more. She talked about the idea and she was 
diagnosed uh, with severe cancer and she's young and has been fighting. This has been her battle it's, it's, and she's written through it. But she says, um, she writes in there, she says, as much as I loathe to say that I've learned lessons, I hate how, forced, how suffering people are forced to say this. She says, I did learn a great deal about my faith. I came to understand more about the beauty of a God who accompanies you to the very edge, who's with you. She says, my prayers changed from these relatively elaborate confessions of faith. She is a PhD uh, in the Divinity School at Duke, right? So she has some profoundly written confessions. So my prayers changed from those relatively elaborate confessions into simple, raw hope. God, save me, save me, save me, save me. And God, if you don't, love me through. She learned this language of a God who occasionally shows up on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. And she began to understand that this was the idea of blessing. It was ordering. And she says this, I'm gonna read this to you. She says, the act of blessing is the strange and vital work of noticing what is true about God and ourselves. And sometimes those truths are awful. Like blessed are those who mourn. I mean, scripturally, it's true, Jesus said it. But does anyone feel true, I feel that is true when our worlds are ripped to pieces? Or blessed are the poor. Again, it doesn't feel true at all. But in the act of blessing the world as it is and as it should be, we start we are starting to reassemble what we know. Maybe God, you were here in the midst of this grief. Maybe God, you can provide for this specific problem or be discoverable when I'm buttering this toast. Dr. Stephen Chapman is an Old Testament scholar. He talks about blessing as an ordering. It's to, to invoke God's goodness into a place that orders it in a larger context. We do not consider these present sufferings worth comparing to the eternal glory that is yet to, to, the, to the glory that is yet to come. We know that something else is, is coming. And so this is this picture that we're given in this. And then she writes this. She says, this idea helps me to, to know how to process this. And here's what she writes. This will be on the screen. I want us to read this together. We are beginning to fit this moment into the larger order of things the divine story of God's work and purposes. I find that language of placement and replacement to be incredibly satisfying. Blessings put our spiritual house in order, even when our circumstances are entirely out of order. When I bless the days that I'm actually living, I find that I have a great deal more to say that is honest. I am mourning, I am bored, I'm exhausted. I'm apathetic. I discover that I am freed from the need to declare everything hashtag blessed, good or bad. I don't have to wait to say something spiritually true. So as God intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words, he invites us to bring ours to him. So we're not, you've heard, all heard of mid-course corrections. I wanna talk about a mid-course or a midweek connection. 
And there are two things that I do, and I'm gonna just give them to you. And I would encourage you to do this on Wednesday. Maybe you wanna pull your phone out and set a, a calendar appointment for like eight o'clock on Wednesday morning and just put God. I mean, think about this. If someone says, hey, you got time Wednesday morning? What are you doing so busy? Oh, God, like what are they gonna say? <clears throat> so you put it in there and you do two things because a lot of us, we, we, we start our calendar week. You were like so fired up last Sunday when you like ordered your world and you didn't pay a lick of attention to it. And what happens is when we don't pay a lick of attention to it, we just say, oh, we'll just wait till next week and try it again. I'm saying like, nope, let's, let's do it here. Let's do it here. So I've used this for years because I'm a simple guy and I just use two ideas. Number one is awareness. What do I now know that I didn't know before or that I was reminded of? What do I know? What is it that I now know? You know that God meets you in the middle. You know that a middle is, has design. You know that you're not intended to just get you know, over this and on with this and get out of this. Like, what is it you now know? What is it you now know? And I just identify, I look back at my week. What is it that I've now seen? What is it that I'm now sensing or seeing? It's stopping long enough to make and pay attention to this, and I write it down. And the second part just answers the question, what am I going to do about it? What are you gonna do about it? What are you willing to do about it? And all these put us before God and they'll bring all that emotion in you, uh, out of you. They'll do all these things. What do I now, what am I sensing? What am I seeing? What am I feeling? What's happening now? And what am I gonna do about that? And it's learning how to live in these middle spaces where there is no resolve yet. And honestly, that's true for some of you. You're living in circumstances that aren't likely to change or they may not come out favorably the way that you want them to. And you need a way to sense and to see God in this sort of Wednesday space. We have to pay attention rather than just trying to get over the hump or get on with it or get out from where you are. I want us to see some things. I chose the word honor, these mundane, these middle spaces, because I want to give them weight. I want for us to assign meaning to these moments in hope, in hope, not in resentment, not in bitterness, not in disappointment. All those are all part of the journey, but eventually what happens is we begin to offer these things in hope. And then we are learn to be faithful in those places, whether they work out in our favor or not, because we believe that something will be produced, some fruitful result of our lives will be on display in ways that we cannot know yet, yet. And it's in the middle, you have to learn how to be content with that. So here's what I want us to do. I wrote a prayer for Wednesday. Although I know it's not Wednesday, it's Sunday. But I want, we're gonna put this out so you can use this when your alarm goes off at 7.30 or whatever it goes off on Wednesday morning, you can just use this prayer to sort of help you see and sense where you are and what you're going to do about it. So we learn to keep in step with the Spirit. So I invite you to stand as we kind of do this as a benediction together. The words will be on the screen so you can uh, read along with me as I sort of pray them uh, to prepare us for what we're gonna pray on Wednesday. Lord, it's Wednesday, often the point, often the point where I feel like I have more to do than can get done. The place where I have given up on doing anything more than just getting through, it's the middle of the week. The hump that I need to get over 
in order to be able to do it all over again. Wednesdays remind me that I'm halfway to this week being over. But I want, I do not want for this week to simply be over. I want it to matter. I want this day to count. Could you show up in this middle? Could you show me that you have shown up? Would you offer peace or strength or both? Would you bring hope along with a little courage or correction, guidance or affirmation? Blessed are the ones who seek you and find you to know your presence, to feel your connection as you come near and come with, even on a Wednesday. Father, would you give us a sense of resolve? Sometimes these are just the smallest acts of faith just to remain. And God, would you honor that tenacity? God, would you help us to see as we reset and try to consider what's unfolding this week and to be really conscious about what's happening in the middle. Maybe that will be Wednesday. Maybe that's the season we're in now. God, would you show us that you have shown up and give us eyes to see that. That we may commune with you and hear from you to feel your presence with us and to declare that that would be enough. So Father, I lift this to you. Um, I know that you're doing this work in our church and so I just ask you to continue that. Um, and I pray all these things, Father, in the name of your son, Jesus, who is our king. Amen.